You found us through fly fishing. You'll stay for our passion and the community. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Podcast. Yeah, but he doesn't get it. How come fly fishermen don't get it? You only haul with the short power snap. Look for where people walk and the insides of bends and hunt those. The roof blew off and the interior walls got sucked out and the trees are just coming up. And I mean, he's clearly not going to clear the trees. It is not a fly fishing story. It's a story about me trying to understand my brother through fly fishing. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. Today's episode is sponsored by Daiichi Fishing Hooks, a leader in the fly fishing industry and still the world's sharpest hook. Tempered with carbon-rich steel, Daiichi offers superior penetration without compromising the hook's structural integrity. You can head over right now to wetflyswing.com Daiichi and check out what they have going and check out these killer hooks. That's Daiichi, D-A-I-I-C-H-I. We've been waiting for you. Follow our guests, follow us on Instagram, and share this episode and the love if you enjoy this podcast. And we are live in three, two, one. How you doing, Josh? I'm doing great. How about yourself? Good, good. Do, now, do you go by Josh or Joshua? Um, either works for me. Okay, good, good, good. Uh, so we're going to dig into uh, Travel Creole, which is I'm, I'm really interested in because we've been on a travel kind of uh, process and creating trips, and I know how challenging they could be. So I'm interested to hear what you have going because I think you have something pretty unique. Um, and we're going to talk about, and also the trips, because you guys are traveling around the world, it looks like, doing some great stuff. So before we get there, let's break it back real quick into fly fishing. How did you first get into it, and what's your first memory there? Uh, well, I got into fishing at a really young age. My grandmother used to take me to uh, the pier on Long Island. I grew up on the East Coast, and it was kind of her way of babysitting me. She would put me, set me up with a rod and reel and uh, a bucket full of bait, and I would catch flounder off the off the pier while she knitted and did whatever she was doing and she didn't have to take care of me for the day i was so interested that it kind of became like our little babysitter trick and uh so i mean that's how i started into fishing and then i always had a passion for fishing but i didn't actually pick up a fly rod until i was in my 20s and that came about um the first place i ever fished with a with a fly rod was up at hat creek in california northern california up by mount shasta I had a friend who invited me to go up there and not knowing anything about fly fishing, I showed up with neoprene waders and my spin rod and a bunch <laughs> of spoons. And he was like, Oh no, this is <laughs> not happening. He had a friend who had extra waders and extra gear and they kind of outfitted me and taught me the ropes. And on that trip, I caught my first rainbow trout on a dry fly. And that was, that was it for me. I was hooked on the way home. I bought my first outfit pair of waders some boots and uh i overdrew my account but i really didn't care right you got it all <laughs> yeah that's pretty cool and, and so are now are you still are you in california now or where, where is your home base yeah so i live in sonoma county which is northern california north of san francisco and uh i run right now where i'm sitting right now is on the fall river which is kind of in the same zone where i started I have a group of anglers out on the water right now Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, good. So, and then, so the travel creel, let's hear how that came to be. Was that an idea that's uh, more recent, or did you always have this idea of creating, uh, and maybe talk about what it is and how it's different? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, travel creel came about, like, from various different experiences in my life. But, um, you know, when I got married and had our first kid, my wife basically told me I couldn't fish as much, and I proposed the idea of guiding uh, making money and she was like that's fine and that was kind of how i i kept on the water was taking people out i had a drift boat and i would take people out and do trout trips uh, bass fishing and that led to guiding for steelhead and the whole premise as a chef trained as a chef get ready to explore the wild of northern rockies adventures Imagine yourself surrounded by pristine waters, towering mountains, and the thrill of landing trophy fish like the majestic Arctic grayling, the elusive bull trout, or the classic rainbow trout. 
With over 40 years' experience guiding anglers through these breathtaking landscapes, Daniel's family-operated trips promise not just a fishing journey, but an adventure of a lifetime. From the convenience of Vancouver, BC, dive into an all-inclusive experience that caters to every detail of your trip so you can focus on the thrill of the hookup. Take a look for yourself at northernrockiesadventures.com for an exclusive premium BC fly-in fly fishing trip. Guiding and being a chef was a really easy transition. And because guiding and being a chef kind of have the same premise behind them as if you're guiding someone, you're fishing through them. And when you're a chef and you have a staff working for you, you're cooking through them. So there's a lot of direction giving. And as far as guest hospitality, guest retention, it's a lot of setting expectations, presentation, creating relationships with people. So going from being a chef and working in the kitchen and running a kitchen to running a drift boat and having clients in the drift boat and creating, you know, setting expectations and creating an experience was a pretty easy transition for me. And it kind of got to the point where I really realized I enjoyed both. And I was like, how do I combine both these into one career? And when I first started guiding for steelhead, you know, steelhead is one of those, one of those fish that, you know, you go fishing for them and they're either there or they're not. So, you know, the, the chances of catching a steelhead, you never know what they are in the beginning of the day, but I used to always guarantee to my clients that they would have a great lunch. And that really brought about a lot of people that fished with me that, you know, word of mouth spread about that. And people knew that I created these awesome lunches on the river. And I created a client base that, you know, was enthused by just hanging out with me and having a good time. And every once in a while, we'd hook an awesome steelhead, you know? (laughs) And, you know, sometimes it was more than every once in a while. But, like, that was a bonus. And the experience of being on the water together and hanging out and having a great meal became you know, the experience that they looked forward to having. Right, right. That led that led to travel crew and like some different paths. I have a friend that has an outfitter and he asked me to go on a travel trip with him and do some cooking and I get to go fishing for free. And I was like, uh, yeah, I'll do that. Sounds good. And I did that for a couple of years and it was a scramble because I'd fish all day and then come back to the lodge and have to put dinner up. How hard is that? Dude, it's, it was, I mean, I would literally be running around trying to get everything together while everyone was hovering over me. Like, how's it going? Like, you know, what's for dinner? And I'm like, just leave me alone. I'm trying (laughs) to get this done. But, you know, that taught me a lesson about how much hospitality meant to me, where I came back to, you know, that experience. And basically the next year where we were planning the trip, I was like, I can't fish if I'm going to take care of people the way I want to take care of people, I can't fish during the day. I can definitely come early and fish. I can stay later and fish, but while guests are on the water for me to give them the kind of experience I want to give them, I can't, I can't be going out there. And you know, that that's kind of where I headed with it. And you know, it, it went much better when I wasn't fishing. I miss being out on the water with everybody, but at the same time, I really enjoyed giving them a better experience. And Then COVID happened. And when COVID happened, you know, my job at the time was working at a winery in the Napa Valley. And I was put on unemployment for the first time um, in my entire career as a chef. And I have a family. I got three kids. Um, Well, at the time I had two. Now I have three. I got a couple houses with mortgages, car payments, just like everyone else does out there. And it scared me to be put on unemployment. And I realized I needed to do something different to support my family and rely on myself. I didn't feel like this was a reliable income. Um, and none of us really knew what was happening or going to happen with COVID. And I started kind of, you know, planning this idea of doing a travel trip once travel started coming back and really kind of diving into doing these kind of trips I've been doing, but doing them on my own. And, you know, that came about as, as travel came back planned my first steelhead trip to Oregon with a group of eight guys. And it was kind of like, let's try this and see how it goes. Rented a beautiful house in Pacific city on the Oregon coast. 
called some friends who I had met up in that area who were fishing guides and Jesse Vaster and the crew of crew of awesome dudes he put together, um, awesome guides. And we took these guys fishing for four days and I took care of breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And it was, it was a huge success. These guys wanted to do another trip. I knew it was something we had something going there. So, you know, the, the whole thing about travel and fishing, I mean, I had done some travel trips before I even got into, you know, doing these trips and, and cooking on them is that what I noticed from the hospitality aspect is, you know, the focus was on the fishing, which is, I get it. And the focus should be on fishing, but the hospitality kind of fell to the wayside. And when you do these travel trips, you can't guarantee you're going to have a great day of fishing. There's no guarantee. There's no control there. But what you can control is you can control the hospitality and you can control, you know, what kind of house it is and what kind of bed people are sleeping in. So if you do have those days where you get blown off the water or the fish just aren't into what's going on, that you can always count on coming back to a great spot and having a great meal and hanging out with great people. And that's kind of hitting, hitting the reset button. So the next day you're fresh to go again. So, and then you have those days where the fishing's epic and you have an epic meal and a great time with everyone around you. And it's a home run. Yeah. Right. 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 That's great. Yeah. I, I hear, I think we, we've been doing some of these similar trips too. And I, I've been finding the same thing that having a chef, having that thing dialed in is a huge, huge part of it for the, for the reasons you just mentioned. So um, that's really cool. What is, you know, you, you mentioned lunches. So what is, you know, what's your typical kind of, you, you hear about these guide lunches, but what's a typical, what's a good epic lunch you would have out there? You know, I just like last year, I did a video with Loon Outdoors where we talked about like, what are you going to do on, what can you cook on the river that people can relate to? That is just a great lunch. And to me on a cold day on the river, the best thing to eat is a hot grilled cheese sandwich and tomato soup. I mean, mm. simple, simple and perfect. And like, you know, texturally perfect and out there with the listening to the, the river flowing and the wind blowing through the trees and eating a hot gr grilled cheese sandwich. There's just nothing like it. Yeah. I mean, I've gone super fancy with my lunches too. Like I've seared foie gras on the side of the river and, you know, served the bottle of so turn with some kind of, you know, fancy, fancy clients of mine. But it, I still, you know what? I go back to that hot grilled cheese sandwich, you know, crispy on the outside and creamy on the inside with some good tomato soup. I mean, it's just nothing beats it. That is pretty good. Yeah, yeah, that, that's actually one of my favorites. And what was that? What was the grilled? What What did you grow up with the the higher clients? Oh, foie gras, which is like fattened goose liver. It's like a oh wow you know, a luxury item. And yeah. uh, I had a client. He's a winemaker. And he, he brought an old, he had an old vintage of uh, like a sweeter wine. And traditionally he was just joking with me on the phone before the strip. He's like, I've got this bottle of wine. Wouldn't it be great to have some foie gras? And I was like, I actually have some. <laughs> and, you know, we, we were on the Trinity river that day and we were fishing and it was kind of rainy and we caught a couple fish before the rain kind of really got heavy. And then we were going to do, you know, a second part of the float. And it started raining pretty hard and we got under like the awning of my, my truck, like the top, top part of my truck was flipped up. And I was like, let's just, let's eat some foie gras and hang out. And I seared foie gras and we drank the wine and, you know, it was raining around us and we ate it. And it was just, you know, one of those moments that I was just kind of like, what, who are we? What are we doing? Wow. That was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> This is good. So what's the, uh, you mentioned guiding. I mean, obviously guiding and, and uh, being a chef and all that. Wh which one, which one is the harder of the two? You know, I've had, I've had hard days at both, you know, you know, I mean, there's nothing worse than a day where you're trying as hard as you can to get your client into fish and it's just not coming together for whatever reason it is, whether it's the fish's fault or the client's fault or, you know, guide's fault. I mean, you know, you, you work hard and, those days are just like, you just have this sinking feeling like, what am I going to do here to pull this off? But like having a day in the kitchen where just things just aren't going right. And you know, every little turn, something goes wrong. And then the ticket machine starts to roll and the orders are piling up oh, and you're right. just scrambling and you just can't seem to get ahead. I mean, those are hard days too. Right. So, both of them have their days of being hard and both of them have their days of like, wow, that was, that was pretty sweet. That worked out great. 
Yeah, gotcha. Well, talk a little bit about, you know, kind of where you're going now. It sounds like you've done some trips around, you know, in the country, but I know you've done some saltwater stuff. How's that look? I know and you're heading to Mexico, it sounds like, too, over the next kind of six months to a year. Do you have a bunch of trips coming up or just a few? Yeah, so my next my next trip out of the country is I've been working with these guys for, for a little bit now out of, out of uh, Baja on the Pacific side, the Los Locos uh, Mag Bay guys, and it's it's marlin fishing on the fly, which is pretty darn exciting. Wow! And I met I met George kind of haphazardly and reached out to him to speak to him about his operation. And it turns out that he has a little bit of a culinary background, so our, our conversation flowed really nice. And he was like, "Get your butt down here so we can meet and hang out." And went down there and caught my first marlin on the fly and. You know, I get off the water that day all jacked up and excited. And he's like, you're cooking dinner for everyone tonight. And I'm like, great. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But, we, you know, me and my buddy Jimmy were down there and we pulled off a great meal. And everyone was super stoked. And he and we started a relationship. He's like, when are you going to come back? Let's figure out how we're going to do this. And, you know, that really opened the traveling to foreign countries and, and cooking, you know, rabbit hole for me. You know, because my thought was always like, well, how am I going to get my ingredients to these places? The ingredients I like to use, you know, the base ingredients. Of course, I want to use local stuff as well. But like, you know, it's more than just packing your knives in your checked bag and getting there. It's it's there's certain things that you can't get in certain countries and certain places and how you're going to get it there. And, you know, I, I worked pretty hard on sourcing things in Baja in Mexico you know through different avenues met different people found other people that were importers and how do I connect with them to get things like if I wanted to serve like really nice caviar how do I get my caviar into a foreign country you know and it's funny through that whole journey as it turns out uh, one of my friends he's a Russian guy and I've been buying caviar through him for a while he's like you know that it's uh it's like a international law that you're allowed to carry 500 grams of caviar on your person anywhere in the world. (laughs) And I was like, I did not know that. So I can actually pack 500 grams of caviar on myself in a cooler. Is that a lot? How much is that? How much is 500 grams? 500 grams is a good amount. I mean, that's, you know, a half a kilo. That's a, that's a good amount of caviar. That's, that's enough to, you know, make a lot of people happy. And, uh, you know, I, I, brought a tin of caviar down to San Carlos um, in Baja. And I think it was, might've been the first tin of caviar, you know, sturgeon row caviar ever, ever in that town. And uh, it was great, you know, serving caviar to not only the guests, but some of the locals who had never experienced it before. Mm-hmm. Nice. And we, people can go to travelcreel.com to take a look at some of your, your places you're going. But talk about that. What are some other spots, you know, you're going to be heading to? Do you, do you have, uh, is it mostly kind of U.S. focused stuff or is it a mix? I have some freshwater programs in the U.S. and some saltwater programs in the U.S. And then we have, uh, we just started a relationship with Kyle Francis in, in Ambridge's K in Belize. That's a new program. We're, we're going to the Bahamas. Uh, we did an R&D, two R&D trips there in the last year and, and chose a spot in Andros um, with some really great folks out of, uh, out of a lodge down there. We're, we're going to be working with them in January. We have a trip to, to Andros. Um, we have our first inaugural trip to um, Oregon coming up at the end of February again for steelhead and then back to Baja doing some rooster fishing oh, nice. um, on the East Cape. That's kind of the springtime thing. And then we also have which one of my one of my favorite trips for the summer to kick off the summer is going to uh, Maine to Casco Bay. I'm working with a fantastic young man named Ben Wally. He's a fantastic fly tire and an amazing guide. And it's most of what we're we're doing there is sight casting the striped bass in skinny water. And that's been a really cool program. We ended up finding an awesome house right on Casco Bay. The group of guides that Ben put together last summer that we we took a group of folks there for the first time and everyone just had such a great time. It was fantastic. And, you know, I mean, we had a couple tough days because of rain, but the hospitality end of things and having a lobster boil and, 
you know, having everyone pile around the house in this old Victorian style house. I mean, it was, it was just really awesome. And we're going back to do that again this, this next summer, Colorado. We have a trout program there um, on the Gunnison river, the, the black Canyon. I'm also working with some friends that I met through the Los Locos guys in Puerto Rico. And we're doing a collaboration between no name lodge and travel Creole. There's an amazing tarpon fishery in Puerto Rico on the Western side of Puerto Rico. And there's also some, some great opportunities for catching permit as well. Um, so that's another awesome saltwater. And, you know, Puerto Rico, the coolest thing is it's like you're going to a foreign country, but it's, a, it's an American territory. You don't need to bring a passport. You don't even need to show a passport. So oh, wow. Pretty easy. That's pretty cool. I've been trying to work out some other tarpon opportunities in Florida, but right now it's turned into kind of a, like a, like a buddy's trip um, that we've done the last couple of years and, do a little bit of fishing in Homosassa and a little bit of fishing on the panhandle with some guide friends and some other friends. And every year we kind of pile on some new friends and go down there and have some fun. But I'm going to turn that into a travel krill trip when I find the right house and the right place and all that stuff. It just hasn't all been dialed in yet. Gotcha. How do you find the right house? Are you doing all this work on the back end, finding the houses and putting the, the trips and all that stuff? Yeah. So there's a process to that and it's, you know, it's, the R and D part portion is, you know, fun, but it also, it's also a lot of trial and error and, you know, meeting people and making connections and seeing how those connections help other connections. And, you know, one thing turns into you talking to this person and sometimes it's going to Airbnb and looking at a house. Um, sometimes it's finding a house on Airbnb and trying to figure out how to contact those people off Airbnb. And, you know, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But yeah, finding the right house, I mean, that's that's a challenge right there because you go to, you know, a, a rental site and they say the house sleeps eight. Well, that doesn't necessarily mean there's eight individual beds. Yeah. So you really have to look into it and make sure that you're looking at that stuff because you're not going to show up at a house that has four beds and you show up with four dudes that don't want to sleep in the same bed. Right. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's it. Wow. Yeah, it is. It's, it sounds like, and then, so you're setting these up and you have some connections just because you've, you've guided. So, you know, some people, so essentially you, you go out there and you try to find a trip that maybe looks interesting to you, find the guy, the right guides, and then you put together, basically put it together. Is that kind of how, how it looks? Yeah. You know, it really comes down to finding a guide, one individual guide right off the bat who you trust and you know, has a connection of other guides and explaining to them what you want to do. And can you put a group of three other guys because i run my trips with eight people so that's how we kind of keep it intimate and kind of keep that kind of family vibe going because there's eight of us you know eight clients me and usually either a sous chef or someone to help me run kind of logistics on the front and run shuttles and stuff like that so there's 10 of us in a house for a week and i'll first off i want to make sure everyone's going to get along and I'll, we all want to have a good time so finding the right guide off the bat who can find other guides that we can do that program with so it's putting four guides together that that's really crucial to the r&d process and then there's the finding the house which i explained already and then there's the fun part for me as a chef which is sourcing ingredients and each individual place i go is a whole journey within itself of finding you know finding great produce or finding you know a local chicken farmer or finding a local beef producer and every place i go i've been like diving deeper every time i go into finding these great resources so it's been it's been a fantastic journey everywhere i go not only the fishing and having great experiences and meeting people and creating relationships but also you know the relationships extend to the food part too for me and you know, recently in Colorado this year, like I mentioned, the guy with the chickens, I met a guy who was raising chickens, mountain chickens up in, up in the hills. And these birds were amazing, you know, and like creating a relationship with him was, you know, and talking to him about what he does and going to visiting, visiting him and seeing what he's doing and buying birds directly from him, not going to the store and buying, you know, a Purdue chicken in a plastic wrapper, you know, kind of going back to the style of like what I grew up in. I grew up on Long Island and my mom used to go buy chickens from the chicken farmer and we would go to the fruit and vegetables.
can and buy fruits and vegetables, not the supermarket. And we would go to the butcher shop and buy, buy meats. You know, we wouldn't be buying these styrofoam containers with plastic wrap over top of them. And as a chef, that's, that's the kind of stuff I want to, I want to give people. Cause you know, you talk about recipes and things like that. It all starts with the ingredients. And if you're able to source good ingredients, you don't need to do much to it in order to like make it delicious. Good ingredients speak for themselves. Then you just impart good techniques to those good ingredients and you're going to create a delicious, wholesome, wonderful meal that people will love. Sounds amazing. Wow. So, so yeah. And, and then you set these up and then how does that look as you, as you look out, are you going to, I mean, because obviously you've got a limited number of trips, are you going to kind of mix these trips up over the years or just bring on more folks? How are you going to keep kind of growing this thing? So I've been scaling a little bit, you know, and, and like the fall river here in California is one of those um, playgrounds for me to practice my scaling. I, I have a, a couple young cooks, chefs who've been working with me for years Austin's been with me for 15 years. He's been working with me at various places and he showed me a desire to do some traveling and, and showed me his independence as being a chef. And, you know, we're working into him, him running this program, you know, without me being here a hundred percent. So I've been working on training other people to do the setup processes of different locations. And, you know, I mean, I would love to scale myself to the point where I can have multiple trips going on as long as the clients understand that, you know, I'm not going to be at every trip. I might poke my head in and say hi, but some of these trips will have, but these, these guys I'm bringing in as other chefs have awesome personalities too. And they're, they're a lot of fun to be around. And I tell the guys that work with me all the time, like the people around us are going to have fun if we're having fun. And I've worked for some high end restaurants in my career and worked at some some pretty high profile places and those places have a lot of rules and you know sops and and standard you know the operating you know all this all this stuff is like very you know almost corporate and it, it those rules take away from having fun so i'm my own worst enemy there because i am so programmed to be like that so i have to i have to like use a lot of restraint of like, okay, I'm just going to let this fly because we're having fun and everything might not be going the way I pictured it or imagined it. I don't have the rules in place to kind of push it in that direction, but everything's going well and people are having fun. And that's what it's about is having fun. And if we're having fun as a crew, then everyone else around us is having fun too. Right, right on. What's the, um, you know, when you think about, I'm not sure the price point of these versus, you know, say another lodge type experience, is that, are you, is this kind of a lower price point or how do you kind of compete with the other uh, folks, you know, maybe just the typical lodge out there? You know, I try to keep my price points, you know, affordable for, but the, the product that people are getting is very, a great product and I try to keep it affordable at the same time. You know, you have a private chef cooking for you. You're getting the great, a great fishing experience. And, you know, my initial year, I kept my prices under $4,000 for five nights accommodations and four days of fishing. And moving into 2024, I'm trying to keep under the $5,000 mark and still keep, keep everything there. And the thing is, is I'm not, I'm not looking at driving a Maserati and owning a mansion here. I, I just want to make, I want to make people happy. And I want to keep the guys that work with me happy and take care of them and pay them well. You know, I want to make sure my family's covered and that we're we're doing fine. But like, we're not living high on the horse because of this. We're we're it's fly fishing. Yeah, it's fly fishing. <laughs> we're having fun and like, yeah. you know, my wife tells me all the time. I worked in restaurants my whole life. I worked at wineries for a long time in my life, and she's like, "You'd be gone and you wouldn't be here, but you'd come back and you would you wouldn't be happy." She goes, but now, like, you know, you're gone quite a bit. And I try to plan vacations with my kids a lot and get them to go places with me. And I, I plan things out so I get quality time with my kids. But my wife notices. She's like, you're spending quality time with us. And when you come home, you're happy all the yeah. time. So that, that makes a big difference in the family life. Yeah, it does. It does. And are you able to kind of take the kids out uh, out on some of these trips, like maybe before or after, or, or is this kind of just different? Yeah, no, we've, yeah. We've, we've planned a few family vacations around around these locations. So the last two years, my kids and my wife have been coming down to Baja with me, 
and in the springtime and we have i have a friend who's got a house right on the beach just north of uh of cabo san lucas on the east cape side and we all hang out at the house and have a good time and go to the beach every day and sometimes we ride the four-wheelers around looking for rooster fish and sometimes you know my buddy jeff has taken uh asher my oldest son out you know spear fishing before and like they're having these great experience last year asher got to drive the polaris around too which oh, was wow. pretty cool for him yeah so i mean my kids are having great experiences that you know are brought about because of what i'm doing for a living now and you know my wife basically gave me an ultimatum when i first came up with this idea and she's like i'm okay with you traveling and doing all this as long as we get to plan a you know at least two two locations a year that we get to go with you and i've kept up with that like we're we're pl- i'm planning on bringing my family to puerto rico for two weeks next year and there's a lot of fun things for kids and families to do on that island so we're you know that's that's one vacation that we're looking forward to and we're kind of bouncing back and forth on whether we're going to, you know, go to Maine as a family this year or whether we're going to segue a trip to New York, which is where I'm from. Um, or my sister lives in Italy and I've been kind of looking into some travel fishing options in Europe right now. So there might be an opportunity to bring the family there and, and do some R and D while I'm there. Yeah. Yeah, there definitely is. We've done a few episodes in Europe and, Italy in that area. And there's definitely some awesome opportunities. Yeah. One of the best, one of the best trout experiences I've had while going on vacation was outside of Florence fishing the CN river and had like one of these dry fly experiences for brown trout and rainbows. That was so epic. And what made it epic is, you know, it started raining and we went down the hill or up the hill to a little, trotteria and ate prosciutto and drank wine and ate pasta <laughs> while the rain was coming down until it let up and then we went back down and just got more fish on dry flies it was it was incredible let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsors daddy flies established in 1928 is the oldest family-run fly shop in the world and you know i'm all about the history and fly fishing which is one reason i'm super stoked to have daddy on as a sponsor this year Long before I made my first order with Deddy, I remember hearing stories about the quality and the history and always wanting to connect deeper with them. So that time has come now and I share the Deddy tradition with you. Located in Livingston Manor on the banks of Willowemock Creek, Deddy is your welcoming place on the creek or online. Their retail and online shop have a large selection of flies, materials, fly gear, outdoor lifestyle items, books and more. Deadyfly's inventory consists solely of products that meet every angler's demand for highest quality and service. Of course, they offer fly fishing and casting lessons as well as guided trips. For more information, visit Deadyflies at wetflyswing.com slash or give them a call 845-439-1166. That's wetflyswing.com slash D-E-T-T-E. You support this podcast by clicking over through that link to Deddy. Okay, let's get back to the show. So what is that? Talk about you got this Mexico trip coming up here. Talk about that one. Uh, let's dig a little bit deeper into that. Where, where are you headed for this one again? So um, San Carlos, which is Puerto San Carlos, which is um, the Pacific side of Baja. And it's about like halfway, halfway down the peninsula in, in a, a bay, Mag- Magdalena Bay. And that's working with my friends and their outfitter, the Los Locos Mag Bay team, uh, which is George and Rudy started this company. They, they, uh, they run pongas. Um, you go offshore and, you know, it's not your typical marlin fishing where you're running teasers behind the boat and trolling. Um, you're ac- actually actively finding uh, marlin feeding on uh, bait balls. And when you find a static bait ball, these fish are in there feeding and you get a fly in there and you rip it out of there and you're literally watching this marlin eat your fly pretty much in front of you. It's all very visual. Once that fly gets eaten, then the work, the real work starts. I'm talking about hooking fish, you know, very many of them are over a hundred pounds, you know, occasionally you get, you get, you know, the 80 and 90 pounders, but there's a lot over a hundred pounds up to, you know, up to 200 pounds. I've pulled my fly away from some fish that were just gigantic. (laughs) 
I don't even want to fight that thing. Yeah. But I mean, it's an amazing experience there. And the cool part about San Carlos, like I'll dive into like, they're using a, a small local hotel to accommodate guests. And um, I've built some relationships with the, the owner of the hotel and the kitchen staff that work in the kitchen at the hotel. And I go in the kitchen and work amongst them and with them and put out meals and I help them with what they're doing and they help me with what I'm doing. And it's, you know, it's, it's not about going there and showing off. It's about going there and, you know, the chef at the, in that kitchen, like he's, he's hungry to learn and I'm more than happy to show him techniques and things that can help him, you know, hone his craft and become a better chef. Last year when I was there, I also did a cooking class for some local um, local students and um, some housewives as well and taught them a couple kind of Americanized recipes. I mean, I made macaroni and cheese and when I thickened the milk with flour and butter and did all that, they, they thought I was some kind of wizard. <laughs> And it was just kind of cool and taught them how to make chocolate chip cookies and told them next time I come back, I'll pay you to make chocolate chip cookies so I don't have to make, make them anymore. You know? So like oh, fun little great. experiences like that. And then products down there, like when you drive to Puerto San Carlos, you it's a 45 minute drive between this town called Constitution and, um, and Puerto San Carlos. And that stretch right there is one of the largest asparagus-growing uh, regions in the world. Um, and I drove through there, and I'm like, look at all that asparagus. Wow. Look at and I would never see asparagus in the stores. And I would see all this asparagus. Like, how do I get my hands on this beautiful asparagus? And obviously, it's all being picked and put in trucks and shipped over the border to the United States. You know? And, and I didn't see it in the store there. I mean, the only place I ever saw asparagus down there was in Walmart. And you think about it. It's an American-owned company in Mexico, so they're the only ones who are able to turn a truck around. But a gentleman I met down there, Crispin, who kind of is like an old-school whale-watching guide and fishing guide in that area, you know, he and I hung out quite a bit, and he we went to go have lunch in Constitution one day. I had to run some errands, and I was asking him, how do I get that asparagus? He goes, we need to find the white truck because the white truck is the boss. <laughs> I was like, all right. And we drove past. We didn't see any white trucks. I'm like, all right. And we go into town. We have lunch. We're coming back. We're coming back. And he goes, there's the white truck. We like literally pulled off on a dirt road and drove down this road and chased down the white truck. And the white truck had a guy named Davey in it. And he owned all those asparagus fields. Oh, wow. And not only was he like open armed, like when we explained like why I was there as a chef and what I was doing, he's like, let's go pick some asparagus. We picked two bags of asparagus and he's like, take a picture of me and here's my card and you can come back here anytime you want and pick asparagus. And if anyone asks you like why you're here, just let them know that you know me and it's fine. I was like blown away by, by that amount of hospitality he showed us in his field. And I served beautiful fresh asparagus to a group of anglers while I was down there and they're they're blown away by it because when you have asparagus that fresh it's it's a different experience like if you've ever grown asparagus in your in your garden it's sweeter when it doesn't spend time in a refrigerated truck being transported and also you know asparagus makes your pea smell it's a chemical change in in the vegetable from being refrigerated and being held but when you eat it fresh out of the field and never being refrigerated, it doesn't do that. Oh, wow. So you eat asparagus and you don't get that stinky pee. Jeez. That's a bonus. <laughs> I guess, yeah. <laughs> God, that's, that's great. Wow, this is awesome. I mean, it sounds like kind of the, yeah, the local food, the local connections is something, you know, that you really enjoy. And it sounds like that's awesome. I mean, I could see this as you grow into it, right, and going into different parts. I mean, like the teaching uh, that sounds like this, the local community. Do you enjoy that connecting with the local communities out there? Yeah, I think it's really important, especially for a trip like this. Cause you know, you know, George from Los Locos, you know, posed this to me, you know, and, and I agree with him, you know, me coming in as a chef into an area where, you know, it's not a high income area and it's not even a touristy area. It's a fish. This, San Carlos is a fishing town. And is this near, I'm trying to, I think I, th I see San Carlos uh, Nueva 
Guamas? Is it near a, a national reserve to the north? No, no, no. So this, this is Puerto San Carlos. Oh, right. Gotcha. Okay. So it's, uh, it's right in Magdalena Bay. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. And um, so it's a fishing village. I mean, it, it's still got dirt roads. The people are really simple. They're, there's boats. You drive up and down the street and there's people, you know, cleaning their shrimp, shrimp nets every day. I mean, these are people that go out every day and go go catch shrimp and and you know are catching bait and you know everything they're catching they're selling and trying to make a living off of. Um, it's not a high income area. There's only a couple restaurants in town, and you know they they depend on whoever comes through. And like here here these guys are running an outfit there. They're bringing people to the town. They're creating some tourism. Um, and the last thing they want to do is bring a chef in that's now taking away from them profiting from you know, bringing tourism to their area. So how do we do things that, you know, give back to the community? So they're not looking at me as a chef coming in and being like, oh, who's this guy? He's like taking away all our work. You know, So you have to find creative ways to, to intermingle with, with the community and find ways to give back and find ways to do things to help them and make them realize that you're not there to take from them. You're there to benefit them as well. Right. So... And that, that's that's the challenge of going there. And I'm only doing a couple weeks there. So you do a couple trips? So you got like two groups coming through or something like that? Yeah, we have two groups that are doing the Travel Creole um, experience with the Los Locos team. And, you know, I'm not looking at being down in Baja and that part of Baja full time. These guys have a, a 12-week program, and I'm honored to be part of two weeks of those those 12 weeks. Yeah, right. And so, and that'll be... You know, now it's kind of September going into October. After that, what's your next trip after after that? So my last trip of the year is to Kyle Francis to uh, Ambridge's K in, in, in uh, Belize. And uh, Jeff Spiegel um, owns and operates the uh, the Kyle Francis Lodge. And it's a really cool experience. It's, it's, a, it's a DIY experience. If you want it to be, you can also hire guides to take you out in pongas. It's all flats fishing for, you know, all all the normal critters out there. There's tarpon, there's permit, there's bonefish, there's barracuda. And he's got the lodge set up with the with paddle boards. You know, I first heard about this lodge through Matt Porbay. And Matt Porbay is who also runs the no name lodge in Puerto Rico I was talking about earlier. So Matt really kind of helped set this up. And these guys are all intermingled like George and Rudy from Los Locos introduced me to Matt. Like these are all people who all know each other through the saltwater fly fishing world. And, you know, I mean, these are people that get, you know, hospitality and understand it and wanted to talk to me about what I can do for their operations to help them up the level of their hospitality. And, you know, travel crew is not about like going in and like making a bunch of money and like, call it a day it's like about like helping people i i, I want to raise the bar you know you know I, people ask me all the time is there someone else out there doing it but no i'd love to have someone else out there do it. i'd love to have someone you know in the restaurant industry every restaurant's pushing on each other to do stuff better and you know like i'd love to have you know some other people doing this so we can all push on each other and maybe help each other and push each other to do things better and you know push the level of hospitality up in the entire industry yeah, it's it's pretty cool. I mean, I think it's kind of funny because I think what we're doing is is very similar. We're, it's almost like we're you know we're our own competition here because we're setting up a similar program. Ours is a little different. We do like three days, four nights typically. Okay. And you know, and we find you know, uh, like we said, Airbnb or like we go to lodge sometime and you know set something up. It, it, it's just kind of open. But our thing is we're trying to keep the price point low, lower. Sure. Yep. you know, to allow people to get in and stuff like that. But, um, but the same thing. Yeah. I mean, the chef, we try to find a chef, we try to do it really as, as good as we can, but it's cool talk hearing from you because it sounds like you're, you know, definitely at, at this high level of, you know, the food and everything, which, so definitely, you know, we'll have to <laughs> have to keep in touch with you, pick yeah. your brain more. Um, so how's it look as you look out on, on your, you mentioned, so you got Belize that wraps up the year. Um, yep. and then you kind of, when do you start up your year? So the year starts up again the second week of January going to the Bahamas. So I, I did some R&D in the Bahamas last year. And we ended up, you know, I traveled with a, a couple friends. And we just went to a couple different islands and a couple different lodges and kind of just kind of took it all in. And 
you know, I met a family, the Taylor family. They own uh, Mount Pleasant Fishing Lodge in in uh, in Andros, Andros Island. Really, really great people. Their father kind of was the matriarch of the family that ran the lodge, and and he passed away a bunch of years ago. And his his kids are trying to keep it going, and you know they're you know they're doing okay, but like you know their business is falling off a little bit and. And it's a beautiful property. It's got a DIY flat behind it, which is really unique. Um, they're down a private road. The father was uh, obviously pretty tight with, you know, Bohemian ministry of some type because this is the only paved road on in, in the oh, area wow. that wow. leads that leads to the lodge. And uh, you know, it's a, it's a cool building. You know, it's it's a little dated, but it's kind of dated in a cool Bohemian way. It's got a it's got a really cool island feel. The the family's got great hospitality, such sweet, kind people. And you know, like Stacy, who runs the kitchen and does the food, like I proposed the idea of like, you know, working with her in the kitchen and, and you know, doing some different things. And she was like all about it. She's like, Yeah, that sounds great. You know, like, you know, everyone else I talked to in, in the Bahamas really kind of had their own program and I get that. And I'm not looking at stepping on toes and I'm not looking at changing people's programs. I was just looking for someone who wanted to work with me and bring some of my clients to the Bahamas to have an awesome bonefish experience. It just happens to be on the island where we had some epic bonefishing too. So, um, and Andrew, Andrews has a history of having a lot of bonefish and it went through a little bit of a decline, but it's, it's definitely coming back. We, we, we saw a lot of bonefish on the flats last year when we were there. And this one will be a, a, like a DIY thing or will there be guides there? No, we have guides. We have four guides. I, I fished with um, four guides last year. And out of those four guides, you know, two of them really stood out to me. I got along with, you know, Eddie in particular. I really hung out with Eddie outside of just fishing with him. We did some fun stuff, you know, going to the bar together, going and fishing for tarpon off the dock at night. And hanging out with this guy, and he's just a great guy. He's got a, he's got a heart of gold, and um, it's funny when we were at the airport, we uh, we were waiting for our shuttle, and there's a tiny little bar there at Fresh Creek Airport, and we go in there, and the bartender's this awesome outgoing guy named Brandon uh, Bowleg, and we're talking to him, and he's like, "Oh, I'm a guide too." We're like, oh, really? Cool. And he's like, you all set up? And I'm like, yeah. And I told him who I was going with. He's like, oh, that's my cousin. Or that's my, you know, mm, they're, right. they're, all, they're all somehow, you know, inter intermingled and, and know each other. And, and you know, as I was setting this up for next year, Brandon reached out to me. And he and I have had some just amazing conversations about what we can do and where we can take this. And I'm really looking forward to creating an awesome experience there. And and I have the connections and and the friends there now to really turn this into something special. Right. Wow. That sounds cool. So that's going to be, so that's Bahamas and then, and then keep us going on this. What, what do you got? What's, what's up after the Bahamas? So Bahamas after the Bahamas is the steelhead trip to Tillamook, Oregon. And that'll be in, in uh, what, what month? That is the end of February, beginning of March. Yeah. Beginning of March. Okay. Yeah. We chose, we chose those dates cause that's really historically been, when you know the hatchery runs kind of dwindling out and the wild fish are starting to show up in good numbers and you know we all the guides run rafts and we're running you know the trash the wilson the nestucca you know the nahalem's a little far away but it's possible there's there's like seven rivers in the area that are all great productive steelhead streams and you know i mean there's 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 a lot of traffic out there but everyone really gets along you know, and, you know, I guided steelhead in California, Northern California on the coastal streams. And those streams, you know, have had lower runs of fish and more boat pressure. And when a client asked me if I was going to do put a trip together on, you know, Northern California water, I'm like, I, I just can't see myself putting four boats out there and feeling good about it. Yeah, because it's just too not enough fish and lots already a lot of people. Yeah, too much pressure. Like there's just a lot of pressure out there. Right, right, gotcha. And then you said you're, and then you, Pacific City is where you're. You have the 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 house or the cabin. We actually are switching houses this year. We the last couple of years we've run out of a house right in Pacific City, a beautiful house, and that house went on the market and is was 
un- I was unable to rent it this year, and it kind of bummed me out because it's been such a great property for us to work out of. And I just kind of put some feelers out there and started doing some research and ended up finding this unbelievable property in Cloverdale, which just is like, you know, five to 10 minutes north of Pacific City. And it's like close to the ocean, but like separated by like a nice forest. And there's a private trout lake that the house is on. There's actually two houses on the property with a private trout lake. And it has some some rainbows in there up to 24 inches. I mean, oh, wow. and so our plan is to drag a few of our boats up there and drop them in the water. So when you're done steelhead fishing for the day, you can go out and catch a couple of trout. <laughs> there you go. Nice. All right. So, and then, and then was there another, after steelhead, what, do you have another trip there? So after steelhead, you know, is April, um, actually in March, I also have a trip, my first trip to Puerto Rico. Oh, okay. So that's the first time I'm going to be going to Puerto Rico with a group. Um, and that's No Name Lodge on in Boca Rome, which is the west coast of Puerto Rico. And I have a group of guys that are really excited to be there. Um, I just got those March dates and these guys just signed up for it. So I wasn't I was anticipating a little break, but it looks like that's what's happening at the end of March. And then April is kind of a little bit of downtime, some family time going on for me. And then May uh we go right into uh going back to the east cape and doing the rooster fish thing and i'm working with uh i'm working with uh juan lacero and he's you know a local guy really awesome guide his dad was guide he's guide his brother's guide his uncle his dad actually recently passed away but um his son david has just started guiding as well so it feels really good to kind of you know hire some local like a local family and work with a local family of guides that are really dialed into fishing ponga fishing for rooster fish and then we have a house that we rented in la ventana and the owner of that house his family's owned that house since la ventana started being developed it's one of the first houses that were built on the ocean and he he's become Juan's became a great connection as well there's two Juan's. there's Juan the house owner and then there's Juan lacero who's the the guide and, and uh, Java, as we call him, that one, he, uh, he's fantastic. His, his family's from La Paz and he's got a lot of connections and he's been a great person to get to know as well. And the house is amazing. I mean, it's like kind of like a little mini mansion with a, with a big like infinity pool out front and stuff. And it's right on the ocean. It's pretty, pretty sick. I mean, it's, it's old school kind of stylish Mexico, but what, what else do you want? You're in, you're in Baja. Right. Yeah. That's what you want. You know, it's, it's perfect. Wow. And, and so all these trips, so I, it sounds like, I mean, have you done, I, you've done all these trips now. I mean, is there one, you know, that you kind of, I, have you guided for some of these species, all these species? You know, I mean, not really. And that's never been a goal of mine. My, my idea is to go to some place and use the people that know the water the best. Right. Like, I'm not going to yeah. come in and, and guide some water that I, I don't know. And I'm, I'm not, you know, my, my whole goal of being there is offering hospitality. Yeah. You know, and kind of cracking the code on how to how to give the guests the best experience there. So, you know, the more I do these trips, the more, you know, I, I have guys that I bring along with me to help me out. And the more they learn, the more it frees me up to get out there and explore more and kind of find ways to kind of make things even better. So that's been the process for me. And, you know, this has been it's been so much fun building this business up. I I mean, I haven't had a single day where I'm just like, this is boring or I even felt like I felt like I was working, honestly. Right. right. <laughs> and what is the you know, as you look out over, you know, just kind of further out, are you going to keep expanding into more? you know, more trips in the salt, South America? Do you have ideas or are you just kind of taking it one one at a time? You know, I love, like the rabbit hole of saltwater has dragged me in so far as far as a fisherman goes and, and angling. Like I love fishing the salt. I love fishing flats. I love fishing offshore. I love doing inshore stuff. I mean, I love it all. And, you know, for me, coming from the freshwater side of things and being, uh, you know, a freshwater guide and my connections were all in trout and steelhead, and, you know, even bass fishing, uh, doing some fly fishing for bass, you know, I, my clientele is from there too. So filling trout trips and steelhead trips has been pretty easy for me. And now like the, the biggest part for me is being able to kind of get my net wider in the saltwater game. 
you know, that's, those have been the harder trips for me to fill, but like, it's, it's more about getting some of my anglers that, that are with me and my clients that, you know, maybe have never done saltwater. Like let's get them into a saltwater experience so we can kind of build them up to do more saltwater stuff. So I'm not looking at growing super fast. Like I'm all about taking baby steps and not rushing things. You know, finding new locations is great. You know, when we find a new location, we're not putting two or three weeks on the calendar. We're putting one week and we're going there with one group and we're paying attention to that one group and that one week. And maybe we're staying a few extra days on the front end and the back end and doing some explorations and finding new things and seeing how it would work to expand it if we if we get to that point. So, right. you know, I'm not, I'm not looking at growing too fast, man. I've, I've worked for too many places that did that. And it's just, you know, that's when you start not having fun. And if you're not having fun, it's not worth doing it. Right, right, right. That's that's a great advice for sure. Yeah, man, it sounds like this sounds like you got a great program. I mean, the places, everything you've talked about, you know, from Baja, I mean, all these sound amazing. You know, even, you know, the stuff up in Maine too, right? I mean, there's all sorts yeah. of great, yeah. And then in your home base, like you said, is California, which has its own, you know, I think I think there's more, yeah, there's more waterways in California than any other place. You know, it's just got tons of resources. Yeah, you know, the Fall River is kind of what we got going on here for Travel Krill. And I just kind of lucked into having this lodge on the upper end of the river, like working with the owner of this lodge. And, you know, it's it's great. I got, I, I got some friends that I worked at another lodge up here years ago. And we all kind of went our separate directions. And they've become independent guides now and not working for outfitters and and we had an opportunity to kind of get the band back together and do a, a small operation we're running four boats up here again it's eight people we have access to this lodge we're the only ones using this lodge and it works perfect for our pop-up situation and you know the trout fishing up here is great we have a little spring program and you know the beginning of the spring the dry fly fishing is great and you mm-hmm. know by the time the summer the summer heat kicks up we kind of take a break and then you know it's september now it's starting to cool off the fish are starting to feed a little bit more again and we're back again doing uh, you know the fall program now right so right right this is great and i don't think i mentioned that the next did i mention the next spot i'm going to after here is louisiana oh no yeah you missed that one yeah, so I kind of skipped over. So I'm I'm headed to New Orleans on Sunday, and I have two groups coming down. And that's the original spot. Like when I was first working with an outfitter, that's where I went and got to go fish, fish for free and cook for everyone. And, uh, and you know, my thought of being in New Orleans is you're in New Orleans. There's so much culture. There's so much awesome stuff to do. And, you know, the program that we ran there, not my program. I was just part of it. And we – stayed out in the bayou and there's not much to do like you'd go out in the backyard and try to catch alligator guard in the little pond back yeah, there and, nice and stare at the four walls and watch football and stuff and to me the lodge was a little hokey it wasn't it wasn't like really what i was looking for for comfort you know having clients sleep in kids bunk beds really wasn't what i was aiming to do and and the kitchen didn't really wasn't really set up and wasn't really the kind of kitchen I want to be cooking out of. I'm not trying to be snobby or anything, but I, I hate cooking on electric coil burners, you know, and that, that's kind of what it was. And, and uh, you know, my plan for New Orleans was different. Like, let's go at a different time of year where it's a little bit warmer, you know, renting a house on the outskirts of, of New Orleans. And I found a great house. The owner's awesome. Her and I have been talking about it. They just renovated the house. It's it's really nice. It's got an outdoor area that we can hang out in. As long as we have good weather, we're going to be able to hang out outside on the on the deck, on the roof. And um, and then, you know, we're going to get back to the house pretty early. You get off the water early there, have a nice early dinner. And then who wants to go out and go see some live jazz? And who wants right. to go out, you know, and check out, you know, the crazies down in Bourbon Street, you know? <laughs> And, you know, I'm not really worried about, like, my clientele is coming along with me. There's, they're chill people. I'm not worried about people disappearing into the night and coming back covered in Mardi Gras beads or not coming back at all. So, and the last, the last five years, I've done a lot of exploring in the city. And there's a lot of really cool things for, that I think I'm going to be able to turn people onto that I've found down there. So, and this is a uh, redfish? Yeah, so it's redfish, um, black drum, of course, in the mix. And then there's the convicts, which are the sheep's head. Oh, yeah. Which is kind of like, you know, the bayou permit. Sure. And, you know, my buddies who turned me on to that fishing, like, I super appreciate it. And I've kind of 
I wanted to turn it into kind of the travel Creole program. And, you know, this is the first time that I'm down there running it this way. And I got a great group of clients coming with me and they're all fired up about it. It's going to be fun. Wow. Nice, man. Well, it sounds like you got a good, uh, a good year ahead of you. Um, anything else you want to give a shout out before we hop out of here today on, on kind of the program you have going or anything around travel crew? No, I just encourage people who want to do some travel and, and explore and, and enjoy good food and enjoy good company uh, to check out the website and, you know, cruise through there. There's a destination page that you can look at all the destinations. There's also a trip calendar page so you can look at what we have coming up, what we have booked and how many spots are left. And then from there, you just click on, you know, the book now button and it takes you to an email. And that's really how the booking process starts with us because we like to we like to keep it personalized and have conversations with people. We don't just say, okay, you can go on there and, and purchase your ticket to the trip. It's it's let's talk and let's talk about skill levels and let's talk about what you like and what you don't like and all that kind of stuff. And let, let's make sure that we're finding the right trip that fits you. Right, right, right. Cool, man. Well, this is good, Josh. Um, we will definitely, like you said, we'll send everybody out to travelcreel.com if they want to uh, check out some of these trips. And uh, definitely, uh, I, I would love to uh, stay in touch with you because, like I said, we've got our own kind of uh, program going, but I'm always looking for other options. You know, Salt is one of those places where I think, you know, we haven't done much of. So there might be some opportunities to get some people your way for that as well. So, um, so yeah, man, uh, thanks for all the time today. And until we talk again, uh, we'll catch you there at the Travel Creel. Absolutely, Dave. It was great talking to you, and thanks for having me on the show, man. That is a wrap. You can grab all of the show notes at wetflyswing.com. And please follow us on Instagram and share this episode out with someone you love. Please send me an email, dave at wetflyswing.com, if you have any feedback or want us to put together an episode on this podcast for you. Check in anytime. I hope you enjoyed this podcast and would love to meet up with you on the water. We have new fly fishing schools going all year long and all around the country. So if you want to connect, let's do it right now. All right, time to get out of here. I hope you have a great evening. I hope you have a great morning or great afternoon wherever in the world you are. And I appreciate you for stopping by and checking out the show today. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com.